0: The Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. A um, little bit of a different show uh, this fortnight, I'm not going to talk, well I would talk about Red Pro obviously, but I'm not going to talk about a Red Pro show specifically, I'm not going to review any Red Pro matches, um, I feel like I do that every time, um, so if <laughs> I feel like I want to shake things up a little bit and do something completely different, and as you'll see from the title if you clicked on this, um, that I'm reviewing a progress show, and um, and I know I said I'd never do that again, um, but you know what wrestlers are like. I'm, I'm the Eddie Dennis of podcasting. I say I'm going to retire, and I don't... Um, I, he, I can't think of any other examples. I think he's the most famous wrestling retiree who didn't actually retire. Um, I think he's Eddie Dennis. I, I can't think of anyone else. Uh, but I said I, I said I wouldn't review Progress again um, because I felt like I'd be hate watching it. You know what I mean? I felt like that... I. Long-time listeners will know that the the, the show that I stopped watching, uh, I think it was night two of Super Strong Style 16, I want to say something like that. A vague memory, because I, I remember I should have watched something else, and I, I I didn't do it. So I'm assuming it's a Super Strong Style 16. And it was Cara Noir against Spike Trevay the main event, and it was one of the most offensive wrestling matches I've ever seen. Um, and I know that sounds like hyperbole, um, and I know that to a lot of people, they'll jump on that and they'll say, oh, you're exaggerating. And, and, and But if, if you're like me, you you listen to Eurograps Express, you love wrestling as much as I do. And those people who love wrestling know that that match was an abomination. Um, it was an insult to professional wrestling. Um, and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't want to do it. I, I feel a certain responsibility to cover things on the show. Um, not responsibility, that's the wrong word, but... I can't just be positive all the time. You know, I can't be someone who only ever talks about things that are good. It's important that we're critical about significant things, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch things that I know I'm going to hate. Progress 160 came along, and I'll I'll talk about this more later, but I thought they did a really good job of promoting that show, and I thought the card looked really good, and I watched it actually thinking, I'm not going to review it. I'm not going to talk about it on the show, but seems stupid to waste it don't it so i am going to i'm going to talk about it um i'm going to tell you now that one of the matches on the show was the worst match i've seen this year one of the matches was one of the worst things i've seen in a long time probably more than a year um Now if you're looking at the card of Progress 160, you might be thinking, which match is he talking about? But I'll tell you something, dear listener, you're going to have to stick around and find out. Um, Let's start off with a bit of news uh, to get us started. And obviously we we can't start this show uh, without talking about the death of Absolute Andy. Um, WXW's Absolute Andy It just seems to come out of nowhere, didn't it? An absolute shock. Um, I think... I'm not going to do an obituary here. I'm not the person to do that. I'm not a WXW expert by any means, um, and there are plenty of other people, you know, Yvonne Hamilton, Sherrilyn Forells, people like that, who who can do a much better job of that than me. And I'll leave them to do it. What I will say is that I think for anybody in any field, whether that's creative, professional, whatever whatever field you're in, the respect of your peers is something that is very hard to come by. And when people do gain the respect of the peers, it's something that we should look at. And look at the outpouring of love for Absolute Andy that came after that announcement. You know, everybody was tweeting about it and and, and saying lovely things about the man. And it was far and wide as well. You know, obviously lots of people that he worked with in WXW, over to AEW in America, to Hiroshi Tanahashi, over in Japan and a real worldwide outpouring of respect. Um, and I, I think it would be a miss of me not to say that I've seen that and we've seen that. Um, and obviously, send some love to his family, um, both his real family and his WXW family as well, because that feels like a big one, doesn't it? I mean, Absolute Andy was a huge part of that great run of WXW, you know, the 2016 onwards run, where it felt like such an integral part. Of wrestling fandom, it felt you know the big weekends that they did. Um, I mean, like I say, I, I mean I was watching from afar in a lot of ways because I'm not really a big, you know I, I don't speak to I don't speak to people, you know I kind of keep myself to myself. But you saw the pictures and the videos of everybody going to those shows and, and those huge events that they did, and and absolute Andy was was central to a lot of those, and there's been memories going around of his match against Brian Danielson that I watched and. Um, obviously, his carrot win and, the, and his his run with the belt and, and all that business and and it's it, it's really interesting to think about WXW because they really feel like a proper promotion, don't they? And I, I know that might sound a little bit silly, but I hope you know what I mean. In that, even like a Rev Pro who book great stories and have guys that they use, WXW feel like their own thing. They don't feel like they bring guys in. It feels like they have WXW guys and and absolute Andy's one of the big names in that group of people. He's he's often kind of synonymous, isn't he, with WXW? You know, you think of guys like him, Bobby Guns and Ilya, you know, the list can go on and on and on, but just guys who, you know, obviously Walter, you know, whatever, just guys that you, you think of as being part of that movement and, and he was absolutely part of it, so a, a real tragic loss. Um, let's talk about a little bit of business. Now, I don't do business very often. Um, I think it's important, business. I'm not someone who who gets bored by it necessarily. I just, my interest, and I think your interest, if you listen to this, tend to lie in the more creative side of things. Um, But every now and then, things come along and you you can't ignore it. And the big thing that's happened this fortnight is AEW All-In 2024 has got on sale. Uh, It's happening at a similar time, the bank holiday weekend um, on August 25th, a Sunday. It's down in that Wembley again. And it was really difficult to read the buzz about the show. And uh, we were talking about it in the Discord, the Eurograps Express room of the Voices of Wrestling Discord, which I I always say this, if you're not in, get in there. Um, I pride myself on it being the friendliest room and the whole server. So, you know, I would absolutely recommend you getting in there. And we were trying to read the buzz before the tickets went on sale. And... It feels like, or it felt like, nobody was going to go, and I'm very wary of your know, Twitter and Discords, and they kind of become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, don't they? A bit of a, um, a bit of a, a circle, you know, because naturally, I do a podcast, and people who come into my Discord, generally speaking, are going to be people who I am going to get on with. You know, I'm not big enough, obviously, to to attract the haters yet. Um, although I do get a few of my DMs. I do like... get a few DMs that I just have to ignore. Uh, but, yeah, I... Generally, we're going to be on the same wavelength, are we? We're going to be on the same page. And it felt like hardly anybody was going and there wasn't any buzz. If you remember to the... Think back to the first All-In when the tickets went on sale. There was this mad scramble for hotel rooms. It, it felt like people were saying... That they weren't going, if that makes sense. That they announced they weren't going, you know, or life's got in the way, or I've already got this this weekend, or whatever. Pe- people had to say, look, I- I'm not going to go. This time kind of feels like the other way around, doesn't it? It feels like I'm seeing people say, do you know what? I am going to go, actually. I-, I will go again. I-, I thought it was all right last time. I, I had a good time and saw people. I'm going to go again. Um... I mean, I, I'm not going, I have to say, and maybe that's 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 coloured part of my opinion on it, that I'm essentially at the point now where I'm going to wait and see what Red Pro do, and probably just go to that show. I don't really feel the need to go to another all-in. Um, and there's, there's, there's lots and lots of reasons for that. One is the amount of money that you would have to spend to enjoy it. Now, The first time I went, the first time I went, the first time it happened, it felt like an event, didn't it? It felt like a huge thing. And for me, a big part of going was to experience being there. And it felt like the, the biggest thing in the world, in the wrestling world, in certainly the European wrestling world ever. I mean, it literally was, wasn't it? In terms of ticket sales. Um, and I didn't want to miss out on that feeling. I didn't want to sit at home when that was on. Will that feeling be the same the second time round? Well, no. It's the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? It's not something that you can repeat and keep that same level of excite- excitement for. There's also the fact that AEW kind of stinks. And I've always been a fan of AEW. And you know some of my best matches of the year are going to be from that company. I mean, Strickland against Hangman was phenomenal. And I'm not a big deathmatch guy, generally speaking. And I like the good ones, you know. Like, I'm like most people, I think, that it's not a, a genre or a subject that I gravitate towards, but when a good one comes along, I really get into it. Um, but I'm not interested in the bro-chacho stuff and kangaroo kicks. I think MJF stinks. I think sports entertainment stinks. And as much as he can shout, Tony, put your money where your mouth is. I've kind of took that the other way. And I know people are getting a little bit overboard with this. You know, I think the problem with the internet is, is that people think you're feeling one emotion or the other. And you feel whatever emotion you're feeling, you're feeling it to a 10 out of 10 degree. And I am a little bit annoyed by that quote from Tony Card about putting your money where your mouth is. Um, I, I am. I do feel a bit strange because I spent hundreds of pounds going to London to watch all in so I, I literally did put my money where my mouth was i wanted an alternative mainstream wrestling company i wanted big shows in the uk i put my money where my mouth is and went to see it and you gave me garbage you gave me rubbish you you didn't give me professional wrestling and i want professional wrestling it feels like you know i i just i think back to that show and, and maybe this is part of it i just didn't really enjoy The wrestling are all in one. You know, I I went back and watched the Punk Samoa Joe match and they're doing Hulk Hogan spots. And I'll never forget sitting in my seat during that main event and thinking it was one of the worst matches I'd ever seen. Just a terrible, terrible match for terrible sports entertainment. And looking round and just thinking everybody would would sort of be with me that people would look bored people would be on the phones and everyone seemed to really love it and that moment of just thinking i mean i've not really watched dynamite since you know that cuz i had that moment of thinking i, I this, this isn't for me anymore and it feels so strange doesn't it that the whole point of AEW and what it was built on was this idea that it was going to be for the professional wrestling fan and it was going to be it was going to prove a point that professional wrestling could be successful outside of the WWE's kind of tropes and and things and and they've ended up just doing WWE tropes so maybe that was why when the tickets came on sale I didn't expect much movement but they've sold they've sold 36,000 tickets They've set up for forty eight. According this is according to WrestleTix, by the way, on Twitter. It's obviously, you know, great, great resource, great follow. They've set up for they've set up for forty eight thousand, and they've sold thirty six thousand already. If this show doesn't sell another ticket, it's a huge, huge success. A huge success, and I, I don't think, I would have predicted that necessarily. Um, I would have expected it to have sold maybe half that by now. I would have expected people to kind of feel the way I felt. I think a big part of it, I'm, I'm fairly sure it was Chris, friend of the show, Chris, um, who was posting ticket uh, pictures of his seats. And he was like behind a, um, a um, like a, a camera plinth like a camera arm, you know, the big ones that go around. I felt like I couldn't really, I mean, I couldn't see what was going on. I was so far back, um, and the screens were kind of small, so it was more like I was experiencing the atmosphere. Um, I feel like I'd enjoy the show a lot more at home. I don't really want to be part of the big crowds, and the crowds were managed really well. They had, like, a traffic light system for leaving, and you felt like you were moving pretty steadily, that, you know, the train station wasn't packed and all that business, but it, it just felt a bit, like, I don't It would take something special to get me back, is what I'm saying. It would take a match that I would consider to have the potential best match of all time. And the frustrating thing about AEW is is that they could book that tomorrow. Look at that roster. They could could put on the greatest match of all time tomorrow. And the fact that they didn't want to do that in Wembley... Because that was the big thing, wasn't it, from last time. If you remember, I was convinced that not only would Tony want to put on this great show, he'd want to put on a show with 80,000 people in an arena and put on solid, good, professional wrestling that potentially ends up being one of the greatest things of all time. And he didn't want to put on the greatest wrestling show of all time. He wanted to put on a sports entertainment show. And he did that, and the people who went loved it. But that's not me, and that's not you, I don't think, either. So if you want to go and do your sports entertainment Go and do it. I'll put my money where my mouth is and I'll spend it somewhere else. Apparently things are changing. You know, they said on the flagship that Lanza's article, or Joe Lanza's article got everywhere and, and, and you know, people are listening to it and there's going to be some changes, but it's going to have to be one of those. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not spending all that money and time getting down to that London. Um, to watch that again, to watch sports entertainment again, I'm just, I'm just not prepared to do it. You know, you're thinking, you're expecting me to, to have to mess with the tube, to queue up, to stand up for hours, to, to give up a, a holiday potentially. And I, I, I'll do it. I will absolutely do it. But I want to see something special. But surprising ticket sales? Talking about ticket sales, there some of the tickets getting a little bit of buzz on Twitter for the wrong reasons. Um, Red Pro, London Uprising, they're playing, they're playing, they're performing at Crystal Palace, um, the National Sports Centre, um, which I believe is about a 2,000 seat venue. Um, obviously, WrestleTicks haven't got an update on, on their ticket sales directly, but you can go on the website and have a look and and see what the map is, and it does not look like it's doing well. It really doesn't look like it's doing well. It's kind of hard to sit and talk and think about reasons why that might be the case without slipping into your wrong kind of weather, you know, circuses in town kind of excuses, really. Um, It's that age-old thing, isn't it? That if people wanted to go and watch it, they'd go and watch it. There are a lot of tickets still available. You could basically sit, apart from front row, you can basically sit anywhere you want. Um, we can sort of shoot into the wind about reasons why that might be. Um, it's on December 16th. It's, you know, it's very difficult to, to get people to spend money that time of year, I guess. I mean, certainly for a traveling fan, I mean, that's why I, I won't be going. I just have to spend 30 quid buying my nephew a pepper Pig rocket and it's rubbish, it just arrived in the post and it looks pants, it just doesn't look good at all um, so I haven't got the money to go and spend getting down to Crystal Palace National Sports Centre because um, I've wasted it on him um, the minimum you're going to pay is £30 a ticket to be right at the back quite far away I would say if you want a decent ticket you're looking at 50 quid, which is not cheap you know, for a travelling fan, you're going to be looking at a hotel. And also, I did wonder, as as as, as criticised as York Hall gets, um, and I know a lot of that's down to the security and the bar staff. I mean, the bar staff it wouldn't really bother me. Like, I, I I, don't drink at wrestling shows. I don't really drink anyway, to be honest. I don't drink at wrestling shows. Um, the security thing, apparently, is, is getting better. But if I was going to go to a big... Red Pro Show. I kind of want to go at York Hall. It feels like their home, doesn't it? And I'm wondering if Crystal Palace is 2,000 seats. I mean York Hall. I think is it like 1,200, 1,300. I don't know. It feels weird, doesn't it? I feel like I'd want to be like Copper Bowl's different because you go into you know three, four thousand. You know you're really going way above your York Hall numbers, and it felt like a special thing to do. You know, just do that once a year. But I wonder if this feels like a bit of an experiment that might be going wrong. I don't know. Uh, You know, it might be as simple as they get in the venue really cheaply and and it's worth doing. But just looking at how many empty seats there's going to be if it keeps up. We've still got 11 days left. So it's a week on Saturday. So there's still time. But, you know, I'm not... I'm not overly hopeful for it. And I, I, but it's a shame because you look at the card. I mean, Oku versus Gibson, I think, is going to be a great match. Um, Osprey versus Kid is going to be brilliant. The way those two are going to build that match is fantastic. great. Um, you've got Jacobs versus Ishii, which I don't know if that's going to be my match of the year. It's certainly the best match I've ever seen live, by a long way, it's getting match of the year buzz, Um, you know, then you've got Mills against Slater, that'll be, I mean it's not a drawing match that, but that'll be a great match, when you've got seven against Volador Junior, but that's not a go away heat match is it, that's go for a wee match, you know, like it's just like go to the bathroom, get yourself a drink match, I think the card looks great, I really do, I'm excited for it, Osprey Kid and Jacobs Ishii, in particular, I think are gonna be fantastic matches. All time, you know, late match of the year run matches, you know, that level. Not great for Red Pro, or great. I mean, Red Pro don't don't operate in that world anyway, do they? We, I remember when we broke down at the start of last year, the batches, like the best matches, and Red Pro were up there with any other promotion. They smashed WWE at the park. For having pure match quality. Match quality is not a concern. I don't know what it is. It's strange isn't it? If you've got any ideas let me know. Like I say get in the Discord Discord. I'm a bit posh then. Get in the Discord and let me know what you think. Anyway, that's the news. That's what's going on at the minute. Um, I suppose we should talk about some wrestling. Um, let's talk about Progress Chapter One Hundred and Sixty. I talked briefly at the start of this about how I vowed never to watch progress. And obviously, there's a a, 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 a dramatic element to that. and You know, trying to entertain a little bit, I suppose, and go a bit of hyperbole. But that was kind of genuine. I realised that after that Trevay-Noir match, kind of reminded me of a really important turning point in my life, if you can bear with me. Um, I remember driving home one tuesday i was driving home from work and i can remember the junction that i was at as i was driving home um and i I had something in my head i can't remember exactly what it was but i thought "Oh, i I might do this tonight and i remembered that because it was tuesday i couldn't do whatever that thing was i had to watch raw it was tuesday i had to watch raw this is about 10 years ago and I remember driving a couple more junctions and stopping at another set of lights and I had this epiphany of I don't have to watch Raw. and For the first time in a long, long time, probably since I was a teenager, I didn't watch Raw. And I felt like that after that Progress show. I, I, I watched them for a long time out of obligation more than anything. And a lot of it was because covering British wrestling for Voices of Wrestling you're kind of obliged to keep up with things, and I have been keeping up with progress you know, the storylines and things uh, watching the big matches things like that, but it was at the point where I realised that they were so gone so left field, so far away from what we consider wrestling, and so into this sports entertainment weird kind of almost like a social club. And there was always an element of that to a certain extent. That it was something that I always found really difficult to engage with. The idea of the just three mates and we're all mates at this show and we're all here to have a good time and we're all here to... Because we we were a community and all that business. And I, I don't relate to that. I mean, that might be a fault within me. that You might think that's ridiculous. But my loyalty and my attendance at a show... He's driven by good wrestling. I don't want to make friends with the person sat next to me. I'll happily chat to them. I love now since I've been doing this podcast that every show I go to, I end up talking to a couple of people, like people that I've met through through doing this podcast, through Twitter, through Discord. You know, shaking a couple of hands and and having a chat with just with cool people who I've admired for years before I even did the podcast. You know, critics who I've followed, um, and that's great. But really, my loyalty is to wrestling. And it felt like over the years, wrestling became less and less important to progress. It became more uh, when they went to they did the WWE deal and all that business. It, it it sort of chipped away, and then the final nail in the coffin was after the sale, the Trevay Noir match. I just thought this this isn't what it was. What I'm trying to say here is is the in a sort of a long winded way is that there was a time when progress were a big part of my appreciation of British wrestling. I didn't miss a Manchester show. Uh, I I didn't miss them for years and years. Um, If there was a show up North, I went without fail. And obviously the pandemic and speaking out and all those things, they were affected by that as much as anybody. But they never came back. They were never able to to get any kind of excitement going. And a lot of it as well was... I, I felt... Like I got sick of being berated by John Briley on a microphone when I went to a show. Do you know what I mean? It just it felt like friendly and very unfriendly at the same time. It felt like a club that I wasn't part of. If, if, if that makes any sense to you. um, So... It, it it would have taken i think a real impressive thing to get me back into progress to get me tempted to watch a progress show and they did this show that i watched chapter 160 I, it wasn't any like it wasn't a, a slow week i could have watched um well i have watched but we could be reviewing um repro shows that i enjoyed we could be looking at all sorts of things but i watched chapter 160 vendetta in the electric ballroom because i was genuinely drawn to that show there was a few reasons why a few reasons one the card and that's always going to be the thing that draws you. I know that sounds like I'm not you know, teaching my grandma to suck eggs and all that, but they've got Ricky Knight Jr. against Luke Jacobs and Leon Slater against Connor Mills. That's two matches that make me go, yes, I want to see that. In the simplest way you can draw people to a wrestling show, That I felt that feeling. There were matches announced that I wanted to see. And You can't get any purer, simpler, straightforward, drawing, booking ability than that. But another reason why I wanted to watch it is because I was watching the social media and I was watching the, the videos that they were putting up on Twitter and I felt like I wanted to see the end of this story. This show had a mass versus title match between Spike Treve and Kid Lycos. And I thought they explained the Lycos history brilliantly. Now, let's put that into context a little bit because Spike Trevay, Is by no means my favourite worker. I really do not like Spike Trevay as, as a wrestler. I don't like his work. I don't like his character. I think he looks at wrestling and has an ethos for wrestling that I do not share in the slightest. I really, really, really do not enjoy at all Spike Trevay's work. I really don't. Kid Lycos, I am very hit and miss with. When Kid Lycos wants to actually wrestle, I I really, really enjoy it and get into it. But a lot of the time, he doesn't. He wants to be silly. But when they showed the video of the first time CCK were booked in progress, and again, Chris Brooks, we've got different ethos when it comes to wrestling. We don't see wrestling in the same way, I don't think. But watching that video, and watching the roof come off the place, and thinking about a time when a tag team like CCK could build excitement and a following, and and they could turn up in, in the big promotion in the country, and have that excitement, and th- that was palpable. I, I've got those feelings again, you know, that time when things were exciting. And they sold me the show. I thought... The way they were talking about Kid Like Us... Because he's a great wrestler, Kid Like Us. They sold me the show. And I wanted to watch it. So I did. And as I said at the start... I was being a little bit obtuse really. But I, I meant what I said. that This show has one of the worst matches I've ever seen on it. So let's go through the matches then. Let's go through the card and talk about what I did see. Because... Weirdly, the two matches that I was the most excited about, um, as he shuffles his papers like uh, Dave Meltzer, um, were the opening two. The first one was Ricky Knight Jr. against Luke Jacobs. And this was presented so, so well. And in fact, actually, before we get started, we should talk about the presentation. The presentation is excellent. The way the cameras work. The way they smoothly go to videos. The way you can hear what the commentators are saying. The production I thought for an indie promotion is fantastic. and I, I Not even for an indie promotion. For any promotion. It's up there with the best of them. And I, I don't understand why Andy Quilden isn't looking at what they're doing. And trying to hire the people who, who do progress. And getting them on board. Now... I can't believe I'm not even talking about Red Pro, and I'm still slagging off Red Pro's production. But anyway, started with Jakers versus RKJ. Um, this started off brilliantly. They just started punching each other and then doing cytosuplexes and, and and backdrops onto each other's heads, and they did that for about three minutes of just dropping each other on the red over and over and over and over. And I just, I am, I will be. Dead before I don't find that exciting. And do you know what? You can be a little safety, little nerd, and you can go on your Twitter and you can say, "Oh, don't drop, don't drop each other on your head. Don't be that person." Wrestlers, dr- there's nothing up there anyway. Drop each other on your head. And I, I, I loved it. I got into it. You know, the dropping each other's head and then collapsing afterwards. There were a couple of moments in this where it erred on the panto. It erred on the progress a little bit. Like, RKJ got his nuts grabbed and and there was a the few sort of comedy faces and that kind of thing. Um, there was a bit where RKJ did the standing suplex thing. You know, everyone counts the vertical suplex. He doesn't do the drop. And I think he held him up for like 40 odd seconds. And it, it felt a little bit at odds to me because it started off brilliantly with this great bit of violence that, by the way, both wrestlers absolutely exceller, and both wrestlers would be brilliant just going out and smashing each other's faces in but then there was a few of those panto-y kind of sports entertainment spots that I, I, I don't know if if they really worked together uh, but the ending was great and it was a classic big, big match closing this was four stars on the nose I, I, th- I thought this was a really good match a great match even you know not going to be the best match of the month or anything like that. But when you sit there and think about a best match, a good match you've seen recently, it'd be one that comes up. And I know that kind of sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but I, I'm really not. I'm being genuine. I, th- I thought this was a really entertaining, great ma- little match, and I, I, it adds to a resume of Jacobs in particular, who's had easily the best year of his career. I, I know he won't qualify for best rookie. But I think most improved for me. Like genuinely, I would vote for Luke Jacobs as most improved if I voted in the Observer Newsletter Awards. I I really do think he is the most improved wrestler this year. I think he's been great. Then we had Connor Mills against Leon Slater. And this show's had a little bit of a funny thing with Connor Mills. We've, We've kind of flipped, haven't we, back and forth on him. But he's entered a new stage of his career now. And I think everybody should be booking Conor Mills regularly. I think Conor Mills should be working absolutely everywhere, especially against people like Leon Slater. Because Conor Mills is a brilliant veteran. And you could see here the way Mills was leading, the way he bumped like an absolute hero so often in this. Um, You really got the sense that... Mills was putting Leon over in a big, big way, and don't get me wrong Leon Slater's great himself, he doesn't necessarily need someone there to put him over but he's he's like 19 or something isn't he, he just needs sometimes to wrestle more experienced wrestlers who can help him pace things a little bit better and I'm not saying he can't pace good matches, I'm not saying he's, he's a high flyer who can't control himself because he's absolutely not, Leon Slater is incredibly accomplished for his experience level but what he needs more than anything is just reps with good wrestlers, and Mills is absolutely perfect for that. Um, and it was weird because I ended up finishing this match thinking, well, that's two for two. This was probably three and three quarters. And You know, I, I'm watching this show thinking, do you know what? We might get back into progress. If this is how they're presenting their matches. Because these were two proper wrestling matches. You know what I mean? There was none of the progress tone about them, really. Apart from them little spots that I talked about before. This was progress back to being interesting and good. Then Tate Mayfair came out. Tate Mayfair is an interesting one because I've seen him wrestle quite a bit in places like Chaos and he's getting a bit of work now um, in a few different places and he's a wrestler that I think when he gives into his worst instincts really diminishes himself and takes away from what he can do because I think he's a much much more accomplished wrestler than it might first appear when he tones things down he's great but when he's at progress and it feels like he might just be given a mic and wound up and told to go on the pro- the promo is so cheesy and corny and it's just heel 101 stuff like everyone should love me and I'm the and it just doesn't land at all it feels like he's doing a character it feels like he sat down and thought oh what do heels do and he's come up with a list of things and he just does them and then he had a match with Paul Robinson um, Paul Robinson is very very over with the progress crowd um, it's not really over with me there were bits in this match that I thought were okay but it's not a match to sort of go out of your way to see I don't think
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each Off again, that's arena club.com slash vow net, arena club.com slash vow net for ten percent off your first purchase on Arena Club, and we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of the Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast.
0: Now, when I said this show has the worst match I've ever seen this year, maybe not ever, but, you know, in in contendership, it wasn't actually Lana Austin and Rob Drake against Charles Crowley and Alexa Falcon. Um, Although, I've been putting off saying this for a while because I, I used to be quite a fan of Lana Austin. She's northern wrestler so works at a lot of promotions that I go to, you know, small promotions and and she's always been quite prominent in those promotions, and I always felt like there was a little bit more in her than we were seeing, than is possible to see, I suppose, in the in the training school shows and that kind of thing. But it feels like the character that she plays in Progress, it's go-away heat for me. It's, it's one of those where you, you kind of feel like you have to really reiterate that I get what the character is I get that the character is supposed to be annoying but I don't like the character because I find it annoying and not annoying in a way that I want to see her get a comeuppance, annoying in a way that I want her to leave the screen and I never want to see it again I never want to see this Lana Austin character, it, it does nothing, it, it's just again, corny cookie cutter heel character with absolutely no thought put into it writing is rewriting that's what they tell you whenever you go away and try and do something creative and it feels like so many of these progress wrestlers have just thought of the first character that comes into the head and just gone with it and just I just I've not watched a Lana Rossi match for months, and I'm seeing the same stuff. Making someone pull a chair out so she can climb up into the ring, and uh, it's it, it's just terrible. Like it just it's grating. And Charles Crowley and Alexis Falcon, I have to say, we're actually all right here. I've never been a huge Charles Crowley fan. The drama stuff is, you know, that dramatic match he had last show. Is is really not for me. And I, I think that there's a, a certain point with Crowley where I just have to accept that he is a wrestler who again I've said this a few times this show who sees wrestling in a completely different way to me. And I'm never going to see eye to eye with that. And it's just going to be something that I have to we have to sort of agree to disagree on, I suppose. Not that he knows who I am, but you know what I mean. Um but actually as a babyface it worked a lot better. Because he just sort of did a little bit of a dance, a little bit of a sort of a smiley face, a little bit of a you know the character was, was there. It was still the Charles Crowley character. He was just toned down, and it actually worked quite well. I thought, and I came away from this match thinking I, Charles Crowley. I started to see what maybe other people seeing him a little bit. I still wouldn't. I still don't think it's my type of wrestling, and I'm never going to get on with it. But it wasn't insultingly cringe like it often is. I think that's what it was. It was not was Charles Crowley without the awful, cringy kind of behaviour. Um, so I could enjoy it a lot more. Um, you know the sort of thing. I, I've seen him at, uh, um, what was that show? Was it Cats Pro? Something like that. And he did some really egregious, long mime thing. He had two mimes with him. And it just seemed to go on forever and be so self-indulgent and wasn't even particularly well done. I've seen him do a routine with balloons and things. And he just felt very, yeah, self-indulgent, I think is the word. And and not particularly entertaining. Um, But this wasn't, you know, he was, like I say, he was good. Um, The match itself, there wasn't really much to report. Uh, it It was just kind of bad heel work. But to be honest with you, the crowd loved it. The crowd loved this. More than they seem to love RKJ and Luke Jacobs smacking Seven Shades out of each other. And I think what that does then is speak to kind of a wrestling capital, doesn't it? And this isn't necessarily a criticism. It's just, not wrestling capital is in how much you know. Not that at all. Just, you want different things from your wrestling. Like, there are plenty of people now who seem to be really into this WWE resurgence with the bloodline stuff. And I mean, to me and you, we look at that and just think that's absolutely terrible, but it seems like so many people enjoy it. And and maybe it's just a different wrestling ethos. We are now at the match that I think is quite possibly the worst match I've seen this year. In fact, I know it's the worst match I've seen this year. Um, This match was absolutely terrible. It was Warren Banks against Gene Money. The story of this match. Was Warren Banks has decided to retire. He's decided to stop wrestling. Um. He's decided that he wants his last match to be against a really good friend. And a man who helped train him. Gene money. And actually, I'm watching the video, the video package, which again was really well done. And I was enjoying it. I was was getting into it. And I like that kind of simple story. You know, just a guy saying, look, I'm going to retire. It's not a, if I lose, I'll retire or anything like that. It's just, I'm going to retire at the end of this match. And I want to go out with my best friend. Win or lose, I don't even mind. I just want to go out and have one last match. And Gene Money was a little bit shocked by it all. He was like, "You, you, you're not ready to retire." And he made this big thing about how you know you don't have to. You can keep going. I mean, I think it's a work, by the way. If it looks like a work it smells like a work, if it's his actual retirement, then they've done a really bad job of it because it stinks of a work. Um. So they had this match, and they come out, and you know the the crowd are so into it. And it's a bit melodramatic. And this match, it, to me, epitomizes a huge problem with progress in particular, I think, but wrestling in this country in general. And I sound like an old man shaking my fist at the cloud. And if you can allow me to do it, I'm going to do it because I really think this match was absolute garbage and is indicative of so many problems that you see on so many wrestling cards from the top right down to the bottom on the scene. And what it is is a fundamental lack of understanding of the story that you have presented and are trying to tell. I didn't invent this retirement story. I've not read between the lines and, and, and filled in little gaps, little jigsaw pieces to make it more interesting for me. That is explicitly the story that's been told. Now, you're an intelligent wrestling watcher because you listen to your Express. You know you're wrestling. What would that match look like to you? And I've not talked about this match yet. I've not talked about a single spot, a single feeling, a single emotion. What does that match look like to you? It's competitive, isn't it? It's maybe a bit catch as catch can. Maybe there's lots of holds and, you know, outsmarting each other. Maybe halfway through, you know, one of them takes it a little bit too far and it becomes genuinely competitive and a little bit heated but at the end, one of them gets the pinfall and it's a handshake and a hug at the end and a raised arm or maybe you want to go the other way and it lights a fire under Warren Banks and he decides he's not going to retire and he's he, he wants to Fight cheap money because he's he crossed a line and it's personal now. Or maybe he realises that being in the ring with, with his best friend was the best thing that's ever happened to him. And he wants to go and enter tag team tournaments across the continent and, and relive, it gave him back what he, he, he felt like at the start. Because they're saying on commentary, they're telling you all the way through that Warren Banks doesn't have to retire. He's choosing to retire. He's nervous that that next bump that he takes is going to be his last. They're telling the story that it might go either way. Did progress do any of that? I'm not saying they're the best ideas, by the way. They're your standard ideas, aren't they? That's kind of where you start. You get those ideas and you think we might do this, we might do that, we might do the other. Did progress do any of those things? What they did was take this massive bucket of melodrama and just throw it all over this match. All over this match. Gene Money, at one point, was screaming at Warren Banks as he <laughs> did a brutal Irish whip and garroted him on the top rope. Like this is He actually he he did a move designed to choke him, to nearly take the man's head off and screamed, Why are you making me do this? with his head in his hands. And I thought, Gene, my friend, nobody is making you do this. You could do this match without doing that spot. And tell the story that you started to tell. But they didn't. What they did is they started telling a story and then said, right, what do we need to do to make this as melodramatic as possible? Do you know what it reminds me of? This is a weird analogy. But do you know the new Star Trek films? Like the ones with Chris Pine as Captain Kirk. And you, you're you watching those films. And the story doesn't link with the action scenes. Because they've gone away and they've thought of this series of action scenes. And thought of a story afterwards to link them together. And that's what this felt like. The action that I was seeing in The Ring... Did not tell the story that you were trying to tell. And it was just stupid then. It was insulting. It was laughable. Why didn't they just wrestle? It got to the... It genuinely got to the point. Where... I didn't know if this was serious. The bit where Warren Banks is punching... And punching and punching Gene Money on the floor. And then... Putting his head in his hands to say, I don't want to do this. And at no point in this story have you ever set up any kind of stakes that he would have to wrestle like that. Just an absolute fundamental misunderstanding of what a story is a complete inability by both of these wrestlers to tell a story in a wrestling ring. And that, my friends, is what makes wrestling what it is. Go and have a look at a a great G1 match. Go and have a look at a great G1 match where they get 20 minutes in the ring and they tell a story from start to finish without a single promo, a single VT, anything. And they tell a story that makes sense It just, that's what good wrestlers could do, and this didn't do it. There was a bit at the end when, oh my word, just honestly, one of, absolute comical overselling from G-Money. Absolute comical overselling on this spear or something to the back, and then Warren Banks is, you know, doing the, uh, the NXT staring at his hands, Just utter stupid. And then, do you know what happened? Here's another thing about storytelling. The actions that happen next should be related to the actions that have happened previously. You go through all that where they're going way over the top. Way, way, way more violent than they ever needed to be. But rather than react to that violence and say, hey, you've taken this too far now. and We're going to make this a proper match. They're hugging in the middle of the ring. One minute, it's head in hands, you know, a spot, a spot, a damn spot, Lady Macbeth-style soliloquy. Like an amateur dramatic performance. And the next minute, they're hooking in the ring. And at this point, Despite the fact it's been pretty much 50-50 for the whole match. And Warren Banks has nearly won about four times. He decides that now it is time for me to fade away. For the curtain to close. And they hug in the middle of the ring. He holds his arm out. And G Money delivers the final spear. And it's one, two, three In a spot very reminiscent Of the I'm sorry I love you Shawn Michaels Ric Flair thing. But even worse. Even worse. Genuinely the worst match of the year. The worst match of the year. And they didn't botch a spot. Not a thing went wrong in this match. And it was the worst match of the year. Anyway, next up, we had Bullet and Smoking Aces against Sanity. Axel Tisha, Big Damo, and Eric Young. They were kind of trying to play up Sanity as being a big deal. Uh, And I really like Axel Tisha. Obviously, we've reviewed quite a lot of his matches over the years. Really enjoy his work. Um... I don't really feel the need for a sanity reunion. It's weird how, kind of, again talking about that WWE thing about how returns and reunions just feel like this really weird part of wrestling lexicon and that when things come back that we have to get excited or when people reunite we have to get excited but in all honesty what is your favourite sanity moment? There aren't any are there. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's a it's a weird thing to get excited about. And I, I think it's a bit of a shame here in this match because I mean the match was was fine. You know, it, it was inoffensive generally. There were some really good bits with spots onto chairs and some cool big spots and I I think my issue with it is with this match is Charlie Sterling. Of the smoking 80s in general, I guess, but particularly Charlie Sterling, because I think if Charlie Sterling never gets any further in wrestling, it'll be a bit of a shame. Because I think he is incredibly talented. I think he's the whole package. I think he's got the look. I think he's got the attitude. The problem, and, and you know, the skill as well. Let's not forget that he's an incredibly talented wrestler. I think he he really does jump off the page, Charlie Sterling. And this isn't a new opinion. This is something we've been talking about for a while, about how good Charlie Sterling is. The issue is, I think, that he's wrapped up in this progress stuff. And all the way through the match, it's panto, comical bits. Like, there's a bit where he slipped on the ropes and everyone chanted, you messed up and all that business. And it, it, it feels like if he were to go and wrestle really wrestle and take his craft seriously. You know, actually go, I want to be a good wrestler. And I, I can feel people's responses to that. And this idea that, you know, I want to have fun and, you know, I, uh, this sports entertainment defense squad that we seem to come across quite a bit. This big, why, why don't people want to be good wrestlers? Charlie Sterling could be an amazing wrestler, but he's taking cheap rubbish shortcuts and he, I really don't like it um Eric Young was was good here you know there was a, a good exchange with him but generally the, the match was just a little bit um there really um it felt like it was predicated a little bit too much on this sanitary reunion that like i say who really cares you know it's like when wwe did edge and Rey mysterio again and everyone was was supposed to be excited, and you kind of saw people online maybe pretending to be excited, but actually, I don't think it was genuine. You know, I, I don't really understand why anybody would be excited by sanity returning. I I, I don't get it. Uh, next up, we had what maybe apart from the Jacobs R K J match was the best match on the show. I thought it's between those two, uh, well that and this one. Uh, Kanji, Lizzie Evo and Rio uh, three way for the women's title um, I I am a huge fan of Rio and I, I think it's been a while since I've seen her and she has got significantly better and I thought she was good to begin with the way she comes to the ring, the way she carries herself she feels like a competitor she felt she talking about wrestlers she felt like a proper wrestler you know, and same with uh, Kanji and Lizzie Evo um, I, they're three wrestlers that I like a lot Um, and this was really violent you know, Kanji absolutely battered Lizzie Evo that the two of them were she's, I, Lizzie's having a little bit of a late career resurgence, I, mean, I don't know how old she is she feels like she's been around for a while but she's really entered that veteran stage now and she's getting some really good bookings and she deserves them because I, I think she's, she's doing some of the best work she's ever done and I've always been a bit of a fan but she just sort of gets it a little bit more. I thought her selling here was great. She made Kanji look brutal. Because Kanji's good. But I think sometimes her size kind of works against her. And she needs her opponents to really bump. To get that sort of fighty style across. And Lizzie Evo was able to do it. And she was brilliant here. Um, and obviously this was really hard hitting. Um, a really good match. It, it, usual three-way kind of caveats you know in the sense that one person's going to be on the outside where where other people are selling and and all that business so there is a little bit of a of a caveat there with that but with those caveats understood and in place i, I, I think this is well 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 worth watching uh, eddie dennis turned up after this one uh he's Went on with himself about being hired and refired by WWE. Uh, got a bit awkward when people chanted anti <laughs> anti WWE stuff for him. Uh, he did the usual thing that they're all doing. All these NXT U- UK people of of oh I was frustrated working there and now I'm free and I want to wrestle. Well, Eddie Dennis of all people doesn't really get to say that because they fired him and he went back. So, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, I I, I know it's a bit sort of gauche now, isn't it, to point it out, but when all these wrestlers go on and on about how, you know, they're... Flipping, you know, that, oh my word, I'm, I was so miserable there, and now I'm out. I can, I can finally talk about wrestling. Like, you chose to go, man. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I, I just can't take it seriously. Um, Eddie Dennis being back is not exciting. Uh, I feel the same way I did about him when he went back to progress. I don't really care. Uh, to Repro. Next up, we had a really interesting match. We had uh, Shigihiro Irie against Yoichi. Uh, Yoichi is Yoshiki Inamura from Noah. He's on some kind he's on some kind of excursion. Um, not a, like a young boy excursion. He's been around for ages, hasn't he? I think he's like 31 or something. I'm not a huge follower of modern day Noah. I'd watch like canoe matches, but I-, I don't really know a great deal about him. But this was big boys slapping me. And he felt like after a bit of a dirge not so much the women's match, but because I don't know, it felt like this was a different level of working from these two. This felt like two professional wrestlers having a professional wrestling match. And again, that could come across as as, as damning with faint praise, but I really don't mean it to. It is actually very entertaining. Um, I thought these certain spots that Irie does, like when he does that dive, he sort of sits his opponent on the apron then does a cross body through the bottom rope. And he looks great. Absolutely brutal. You know, he's big cannonballs that he does in different spots. Um, never been a huge Irie fan, generally speaking. I, I think that you he, he kind of see what... If you won't watch one match every six months, you've kind of seen everything he's going to do in that six months. Um, I know a lot of people really like him, though. So maybe he's one of those that I'm perhaps just... I'm out to lunch on, maybe I'm the outlier I'm on the desert island and that, that's fine sometimes, there's going to be if everyone has that wrestler who everybody seems to love and you just don't get you know, Adam Cole is, is my big one, I just I think he's a jag, I just don't get it but plenty of people seem to absolutely love him and sometimes you just got to accept that you might be wrong and I might be wrong about Irie, but it is what it is Um, match is really good You know, again with the Yiria ceiling. Just big, brutal guys having a fight. Okay. Then it's the headline main event. Lycos versus Treve. And like I say, it feels like they did a brilliant job getting me to watch this show. Because it was really the, the opening two matches that got me interested. But you've got two wrestlers who I'm not a particular fan of, although I do like Lycos's serious work, I have to say, that when he's not being silly and he's wrestling, I think his work recently has been really good. His Repro stuff recently has been great. Treve is a wrestler who I, uh, I have never enjoyed. I just don't get his work at all. But the video package to this was so good. The way it was silent. And Treve ripped his mask off at the end of a match and, he, you know, Lycos scrambles to cover his face and Treve runs to the back and like I say, when you think back at the history of Lycos and the way they've built into that, you know, the idea of him being this huge resurgent star and and, (coughs) excuse me, feeling like he, he had a whole amazing career ahead of him and the injuries that he had and then coming back and and, and, and coming up against Trevay and it feeling like this was a real big moment and the, the huge stakes of the title versus uh, the mask and and it's genuinely into it and when Lycos came out it felt big even though they clearly given out Lycos mask to the crowd and the Progress just couldn't stop themselves trying to engineer it and, and, and add a layer of artificiality to it like they do to everything but Lycos was so good in his entrance and the way he presented himself that he overcame that, and it felt like something I was excited to see and couldn't wait to see. And then Treve came out, and it—it it was the looks, the the, the outfit, the music—all so corny, just weird. Like I, I don't get it. He, he didn't. He doesn't come across as a real person. He comes across as a wrestler. As a sports entertainer, I should say. You know, that kind of this is what heel wrestlers do, and this is a heel wrestler's entrance, and 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 I felt like a bit of a fool, really. Um and I I, I, I felt bad for Lycos. I felt like based on his entrance and the fact that he's potentially being unmasked, which he ended up being unmasked. I felt like he deserved a little bit more than this boring Spike Trevay character. Um and it could have been a lot more. Um started off okay in terms of match in terms of work, in terms of sort of match structure. You know, they were just hitting each other and, 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 and it felt serious, it felt like a feud. Um And then they use fake glass. Trevay got a bottle out and smashed Lycos with it. And I'm not going to get into the Crimea River real glass or fake glass debate here. If you... I I never go in for the argument of you've never laced a pair of boots so you can't have an opinion. That's obviously nonsense. Anyone who argues that is an absolute idiot. And it's better... Whenever he listens to a record or watches a film, better have no opinion on it because you've never been in a film and you've never made a record. You know, it's, it's just a stupid argument. But what I will say is I don't want to take a real bottle to the face. I obviously don't. The problem with this is Spike Trevey had hid the bottles under the ring and they were just clearly plain brown bottles. And it just screamed prop. We've talked about kayfabe before, haven't we, the Audiences have to participate in kayfabe. You have to pretend that what you're seeing is real. And I find the wrestling that I hate the most is wrestling that doesn't allow me to do that. Wrestling that shows me the cogs. Wrestling that shows me the mise-en-scene and the settings. And by having blatant fake glass, I'm not saying it should have been real glass. I don't want to get smashed in the face with real glass. What I'm saying is, there should have been no glass at all. It really felt like, again, overly dramatic, um, overly convoluted, just so slow. So much of this match, and this was a 37-minute match. Let me check on Cage match. Yeah, 37 minutes and 44 seconds long, this match. And so, so much of the match was tables being moved around, chairs being set up, doors being set up in the corner, people looking under the ring for stuff, people going out behind the bar and getting out bins, people looking for drawing pins. And you're like, I have seen this match before. They at least had the respect for us not to get a trampoline out. Which happened in the Spike uh, in the Car Noir match, but it just felt drawn out. It felt like I was watching things being rearranged. It felt quite often weak this match, and that's a weird criticism when you're watching people being dropped on drawing pins. And going through tables. Because there were some great spots in this match. But there were also bits on the apron. Where Spike Trevay was going to try and pile drive. Kid Lycos through the tables. And couldn't really seem to lift him up. And that's not good. It's not a good look. And again perhaps there's a level of them needing to. Go back to the drawing board. And have a think about spots that would actually make sense. And would actually look good. Spike Treve for some reason. Brought out a fake tombstone. And there was a bit in this match. Where they did a tombstone. Onto a tombstone. And the commentary. Thought that was dead clever. What a fourth wall breaking moment that was. What a. You know it's like. It was like poetry. It rhymed. But you can't rhyme a word with itself, can you? Tombstone doesn't rhyme with tombstone. And if you try and make it rhyme, you just look like a sausage. And It was just a really stupid spot. Again, slow, boring, gentle. The whole middle of the match felt like things being set up. There was a bit in this match that was so cringe. I felt my insides kind of shrivel up a little bit. And I'm not afraid of cringe. I'm not. I, I'm not. You know, you've know, you listened to this podcast before. Don't mind a cringy cheesy joke. But when they got the drawing pins out, somebody started chanting ECW. Or EC Dub. And I, I don't know who that person was, and I apologise if you hear this, that was awful. And just when you thought that moment couldn't get any worse, Spike Trevay turns to the audience and says, this is an ECW, this is progress, and I thought, I I need to turn the telly off. I actually stood up and walked away for a minute. I went and got a glass of juice to calm my nerves. I just thought, how... Deluded, and I know it's a work. I know wrestling's fake. Thank you. Before you go on a Discord and try and tell me, I know he's going to promote the company that he works for. Supposed to be a heel, isn't he? Supposed to hate the company, Spike Trevay or you know, he's he's burning it down from the inside to expose the commentary team for the what? You know what I mean? That's that's his sort of mo, isn't it? So it was just a weird moment, anyway. Even if it wasn't cringy. Um, Lemon juice came out. (laughs) This is... uh, You know, this is something that... Seems to be a really weird thing. That that Progress like. Whenever they have like thumbtacks... They get the... (laughs) They get the old lemon juice out. And it's because... I I, I I understand... um, That lemon juice in a cut hurts. I, I... Again... I, I get it. I do understand it. Still stupid though, isn't it? Just dumb. Rubbish. Looks crap. Throwing lemon juice on a cut. I just, it's just weird. And he was done completely straight-faced as well. It's not even like when they were doing it in the Luke Jacobs matches that it was this big like, oh my God, aren't we edgy? Which is bad enough on its own, merit. But they were doing it with a straight face this time, which somehow made it worse. Then Bullet and Nick Riley come out. And they threaten kid like us too, and that's enough to almost you know throw like us off his game, and he gets thrown through a glass pane. He doesn't kick out straight away though. He's not prepared to kick out then, but he he takes a few, I think Ushigarashi's or whatever his finishing move is, like a the pedigree into a neckbreaker thing. I'm sure it's got a name, um, and he he loses his mask, and you know Treve looks looks. Introverted, he looks like. Oh, I don't know if I went too far here, and he realizes that Lycos has earned his respect and they shake hands at the end as if you know everything we've just the 37 minutes we sat through was a waste of time. Really. And then actually to, to his credit, Lycos unmasked and delivered a great real promo. So as much as I would rate this match maybe one star I've actually come away from it feeling quite positive because I think this unmasked Lycos could go on to do some really good stuff and I'm actually he's always been a talented wrestler and I've not always again agreed with how he wrestles and the spots that he does and his approach to wrestling but he's undeniably a talented wrestler and I'm excited to see what he might actually go away and do. So that's Progress 106. Two matches at the start were good. The women's three-way was good. Everything else was absolutely abysmal. Don't watch it. So that's Progress 160, a bit of a hard show to kind of um, review, really, because for everything that was good about it, there was something equally bad. You know, it was a bit of a weird balancing act. So I think if you're a Progress watcher, and you know, you're like me, I think we need to cherry pick, don't we? I think sitting through whole shows is too much. I think one of the things that I didn't mention in the review that I found really difficult was the fact it was like four and a half hours. And I think we're past that now. I think promoters have started to realise that that's only ever to the detriment of your of your wrestling show. And genuinely, if it's a big show, if it's a huge huge show, like you know, Uprising is probably going to be four hours. It's a, it's a big show. Copper Box is four hours. It's a big show. If it's your standard day to day progress chapter like this was, I don't think it needs to be four and a half hours long. I really don't. I think that's only ever going to take away from what you're trying to achieve. We'll be back in two weeks time. Uh, The focus of that is going to be Uprising. Uh, That'll have happened by then. So if you're watching it and you're watching it live, I will be too. So get in the voices of wrestling discord. There's a Eurograps Express room that I as I always say, I pride myself on that being the friendliest room in the whole server. So if you want a, a chat with people who like watching European wrestling, that's the place to do it. I am going to be back in two weeks' time and have a good one. Catch you in a bit. go listen to the Lucha Yovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.